Hello and welcome to another Magic Monday where wherever you are in the world you can tune into this, the latest in our continuing APW Property Podcast series. APW helps expats buy property in the UK and part of that help is putting out loads of information online in newsletters, on the APW YouTube channel and on this podcast series. With me today is Callum Williamson from APW. Hi Paul, how are you? Hi Callum, I'm very well, how are you? Very well, thank you. And you're also joined by, uh, with you, Callum, uh, sitting right next to you is Lisa Pierce. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Paul. It's very exciting because we're uh, we're just finalising our podcast studio. And so hopefully there'll be some videos and content of that coming soon. But this is the makeshift podcast studio at the moment. So um, we're all very excited to be here. Good. Well, my name is Paul Shearer. I'm a writer, journalist and broadcaster, and I've specialised in property for almost 20 years now. But uh, between us, we hope we can cover the world with nuggets, uh, little bite-sized chunks of perspicacity to assist you on your own property journey. Uh, And today we're continuing our seven-step guide to the buying process uh, with step two, choose a location. The first one was define your goals. Uh, But choosing a location, you have a lot of choice. Uh, ONS data suggests that in 2020, uh, across all local authorities in England, there were 23.2 million households living in 24.7 million dwellings. Of those 24.7 million dwellings, just under two-thirds were estimated to be owner-occupied in 2020. And there were the following four tenures... Uh, had figures attached to them. 8.8 million were owned outright. Uh, 6.8 million were owned with a mortgage or a loan. 4.8 million were privately rented and 4.2 million were in social rent, mainly rented from housing associations and local authorities. And that's just England. Uh, Across the whole of the UK, they estimate 27.8 million households. Uh, So you've got a lot of choice as to where you're going to buy a property uh, because those are the that's the reach that you have. doesn't also count the, the government target for building new homes, which they're always trying to build 300,000 new homes a year, uh, but they've consistently fallen short of that. So how do you narrow this down? That's the, that's the big question. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? There's, there's heaps and heaps of choice there. I think just one of the things I think was quite interesting as you were, you were talking there was the uh, percentages of how things are owned and the 8.8 million, 36% owned outright is quite interesting because it's, um, it's a lot more than we've seen previously. So at the moment when, you know, we've got lots of different commentators talking about the interest rate rises and the impacts on the market and all of that sort of stuff, you know, third, a, a third of all homes are now owned, owned outright. So those are a third of homes that are not, are not actually impacted by interest rate changes, which which is a much higher figure than we had in, say, 2007, 2008. So I thought that was quite interesting. But locations, uh, so how do you narrow it down? I mean, it goes back to the it goes back to the goals that we discussed in step one, right? So, you know, if you're looking at the whole of the UK and deciding where to buy, it is very, very, very daunting, you know. But if you've got some clear goals and you've got your resources uh, set aside, knowing what you can put aside to achieve those goals, then it becomes much easier. So, you know, are you buying for yourself? Is it a home, somewhere to live in? Then that's probably quite easy because you know you're going to be buying in, you know, Bridge End for me, or um, you know, Cardiff or near the pub or whatever it may be. If you're buying for income generation, then you need to not look where you come from, but look at those areas that are performing well. And if it's a long-term security pension play, something further down the line, then you need to be looking in sort of locations that you know it's going to be rented and tenanted over a long term, so probably probably bigger employment centres. 
Yeah, so let's have a look at those three. Uh, buying for yourself, um, we talked about this in the defining your goals. Obviously, you're going to be making the romantic choice and it's going to be near your family or friends or in, near the things you like doing. Could be a, a cottage in the mountains in Wales or it could be a an Uber flat in a penthouse location overlooking a city centre. That's going to be your call. Uh, but there are two different strategies. I remember the first time I looked for a property. Uh, I was in London and, uh, you know, you thought, oh, I'd like to live in that area. And then you looked at the prices and you go, oh, OK, I'm not going to be able to live in that area. I'm going to look for somewhere uh, cheaper. Uh, but some people don't do that. Some people say, no, I am going to live in that area and I will find the smallest possible place that I can afford or the biggest possible place that I can afford, even though it's very small, in the poshest area as a, as an idea that those flight to quality areas, they don't go down ever. But other people sort of say, no, no, I want I want a bigger flat. I want a bigger house. Um, I'm going to move to the cheaper area and hope that it will regenerate around me. Um, is that the kind of thing that you've discovered as a strategy, you think, Lisa? Um, I think when you're buying for yourself is such a personal thing. And I think, you know, you you go with, um, you know, what you've got at the time. And I guess, you know, I guess you're right. It is a really heart. It comes from the heart rather than the head. It's not about an investment then. It's very different and because you're looking to live in it and you want that connection with the place, whereas it's an investment is very different. Yeah. And, and I think as well, you know, again, I think if you do, you know, even if you're buying somewhere for a home, right, if you do your goals correctly, then that question of do I buy uh, a small place in the best area possible or do I buy for more space would be an easier question to answer, you know, and and you look at your life situation, it's okay, I'm, I'm single and I'm, you know, I'm planning on staying that way for a while, then I want to be buying in the best possible location as close to town so I can go to pubs and clubs and meet my mates and all that sort of stuff. Or if I'm looking to start a family, then I'm probably going to be looking to buy somewhere further out where I can get two or three bedrooms with a bit of a garden and have a bit more of a sort of family style lifestyle. So if you, yeah, you do your planning properly, that should should be easier. Yeah, it's part, you know, parks and schools are the young family kind of ideas, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Okay, well, let's have a look at the next idea, buying for income immediately, you know, but the, that, that as a strategy. How do you define the area? How do you choose a location? Okay, so uh, here it is the yield, the yield that you want, or yield certainly becomes more important. Uh, so there are some tools online that you can use that show yield. You know, the Daily Telegraph has a good one, uh, for example, where you can highlight yield and, and average income, average rent, all that sort of stuff. On top of that, you've got the pie framework, uh, population, infrastructure, and employment. Um, you know, so good employment centers, population, infrastructure to get them to and from work. But I think, I think just come back a step, you know, if you set your goal and you say, okay, well, I'm buying for income and then you've looked at your resources and you've gone, okay, well, I've got, you know, 70 grand in the bank. I don't want to use all of that. You know, I want to keep a 10 grand buffer. So I've got 60 grand to use for a property, 25% down plus some, say 5% for legals. So then that will give you say you're putting £40,000 down, £45,000 as a deposit, 25%, that'll give you a property value of around 150000 So all of a sudden, it's not just, okay, where's got a good yield? It's, I'm looking for a good yield. The property value is 150000 Now where meets that criteria? And you've gone from basically anywhere in the Midlands, north to 
certain areas, Nottingham city centre or Birmingham's probably out the window, Manchester's out the window. So it'll, it'll define things a little bit more for you. So um, again, that's why that sort of resources, having your clear resources is important. Yes, you can narrow things down a bit. And also uh, the other point about income, uh, like you say, by keeping a buffer there, one the the flip side of income is the costs. You want to be looking at a property that doesn't have a big bill coming down the track, like uh, you know a new roof or a big um, maintenance upgrade on a communal part in a big block of flats. Yeah, sorry, and... and- you know, I think a good one for that, I guess this may be for another podcast or something we've discussed before, but, you know, if that is the strategy you're going down, I personally think that sort of new build city centre, one in two bed flats at the moment are the way to go, you know, because you know you've got 10, 15, 20 years before you need to replace things or before anything goes wrong, you know, touch wood, things do happen, but normally it'll be fine. Uh, so your costs are going to be low. It's going to be rented well because that's what young people want. So, um yeah, if it was me looking at this strategy, then that's the sort of thing I'd be looking at is new builds or conversion city centres, uh, one and two bed flats, because you're always going to have a market. Even new build uh, family houses as well. There's a lot of developers building building those and they come with guarantees and, and uh, uh, sometimes even developers are going to shift property and provide you with a guaranteed rent for a few years aren't they that's a sweetener that they do when they're trying to uh, sell development who, who pays for the guaranteed rent though that's always my question when someone says i've got a guaranteed rent i'm always a little bit suspicious because i think well someone's got to pay for it you know so does it just come in the form of a slightly inflated price and then it comes back to you as a guaranteed rent so do your research and see you know if it's a reasonable price and you're getting a guaranteed rent then fair enough but i think Often, it might be a little bit inflated. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Lisa Callum, uh, we've heard him before. He's a big fan of new build. Are you a, a fan of new build or do you prefer the period property? For personal to personal to live in, I prefer definitely a period property. But I think, you know, again, when you're looking at investment, you have to look ahead to the future. And particularly if you're overseas, I think it's important that you've got a property that, you know, isn't going to need that maintenance and that upkeep. And you know that you've got something that's solid, it's new. Um, and like Callum said, it's not going to need any work doing to it for at least, you know, a good 10, 10 15 years. And, and I think you can actually find a nice middle ground. You know, because you can find conversions of old period buildings that are now technically new buildings. That's you know, true. All, that is true. All the flats yeah. on this road, as an example. Absolutely. Yeah, they've, they they are some beautiful ones on Cathedral Road. They've done a, a you know fantastic job. Like you said, they're they're great conversions. But again, it's making sure that there's a trusted developer, and you know, you know what you're getting. Research again. Yeah. Well, part of that research, I mean, you just mentioned there, uh, Cathedral Road in Cardiff. So you can Google that on your Google Maps and uh, just do a Google Drive down the road and have a look at the, the different properties that are available. We've got podcasts on several UK cities and we're building up a library of those. Um, so have a listen to those. We've got Nottingham, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Birmingham, Manchester, Bristol, Cambridge, uh, Sheffield. Sheffield, yes, we did that one too. Um, So uh, have a listen to those. Um, And when we're doing the research for those, uh, I tend to look at the local city plan. Each uh, authority has to publish a plan uh, for what what they're going to be doing in the city in the next 10 years. And those are, you know, good resources for information. Several agencies, UK agencies, produce reports on different cities. 
Uh, and as I say, you can Google Drive down particular streets. You can look at the satellite view to see if there's a motorway at the bottom of the garden. Uh, there's lots of ways of hunting, and you can draw little boundary maps in Rightmove and Zoopla and search for properties only inside your chosen area. Uh, so that's all part of the process if you've got the time. But if not, you can uh, you can just phone up APW and say, uh, can you help? Yes, that's it. You can. But I think you should... Um you know, you should you should always do a bit of your own research as well. And nowadays, I mean, it's so easy. You can do everything online, right? Move Zoopla, Google Street View, you know, the Google Earth, the 3D thing, you know, it's all out there, all the information you need to be able to do it. So um, it does take a bit of time, but like anything, it's just getting started. You know, once you've got a little bit of momentum with searching, it's it's easier. You know, if you if you sit there and worry about it, then it builds up to a big thing and it becomes difficult to do. Okay, and you were talking about sort of new apartment conversions inside old buildings. Um, you've said before about working with trusted developers. That's a, a, a big key idea. Yeah, I think it's it's important. You know, you need to look at a developer's track record because, you know, where you hear these stories about, you know, developers going bankrupt or bust or, you know, disappearing with everyone's money, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen and. You know, generally, if you sort of dug back into the history of those people, it'll be people that don't have a solid reputation because ultimately the, you know, the ones that do have a solid track record and reputation are the ones that stick around. You know, it's uh, survival of the fittest, I guess, isn't it? So, Yeah, and you also have to be slightly wary of oversupply because uh, that can happen when, when too many developers all start developing in a small area. There was one, Ashford in the 70s was one... It created a, a desolate area because everyone was hoping that the Channel Tunnel was going to be built and then uh, it wasn't for another 20 years. So there were a lot of empty office blocks in Ashford. Uh, and uh, around the American Embassy in the 2000s, when uh, the whole Nine Elms Corridor, there was a massive oversupply of one-bedroom and two-bedroom flats uh, as people were trying to capitalise on the fact that the Embassy had moved from Mayfair to uh, south of the river. Who'd have thought it? Yeah, I think I think you just um, don't get sucked in. You know, you need to be sort of. I think something we talk to people about is, you know, this is good from a a rental perspective, but also from a mortgage perspective. You know, the lenders that lend to the overseas market have a a cap or a percentage on the number of units they'll lend to in a specific development, and there's a cutoff point which is around sixty sixty units. You know, where actually it becomes saturated, and anything over that. You'll run out of lenders that will that will be exposed to that particular development. So if you try and keep it under sixty, that means you're going to have the, the most access to lenders. But it also means that you know, for example, you've got three hundred units in a development. Uh, you know, you've got twenty of them empty. Yours is one of them, or you've got a, a development of twenty units. You know, one of them is empty, or two of them is empty. They're not all twenty going to be empty. So you're competing less with people in smaller apartment blocks or, or smaller uh, developments. So I think, yeah, don't uh, don't get sucked into the sort of buying in a massive place because everyone says it's great, you know, do your research again. Okay, well, uh, final thoughts. Where is your up-and-coming tip? Where, where are you looking at at the moment? It's, it's a really tricky one, that. It's very difficult. And again, it goes back to your goals and what you're looking to achieve. Uh, up-and-coming tips, I mean, you know, think uh, – the whole of the UK, you know, you've got Nottingham has been doing very well the past 12 months. It's top for capital appreciation, top for rising rents, and it's still a really good price point. You know, you can buy at 
£150,000, you know, so that's solid and pretty popular at the moment. But I think, you know, Nottingham is a huge area. Obviously, there's places within that that will be better and areas that won't, you know. So I think as long as you're sticking to your your solid basics, then I wouldn't say most areas will be good, but uh, a lot of places will be good places to buy. What about in Cardiff? You've been, you were abroad in Australia during lockdown and you've come back to Cardiff, a city that you know. Is there a neighbourhood there that has surprised you that you've sort of thought, oh, that's up and coming? Or Yeah, I mean, good question. There's, it's certainly different to, to when I left eight years ago. You know, not too far from where we are in the, the office is uh, a little area called Canton. That's sort of, that went up in value heaps and heaps, especially throughout COVID because people were looking for houses you know, Pont Canada is pretty nice. It's pretty posh and you've got lots of old buildings, a uh, bit expensive now, but, you know, down to the Bay, Gr- Grangetown, places like that where you can still get good value. But again, it depends, right? You know, if you're, if you're trying to find good value, then you go and buy somewhere a bit cheaper. If you've got the cash to splash, then, you know, you'll buy somewhere like where the office is that you know is going to do well. So again, goals, got to set your goals. I think the West city has always done well though and is is continuing to have quite a a lot of money spent on it um so i think you know and that's both that's both the kind of developments that you know similar to where callum is where they've you know redeveloped old properties but also equally in canton um a huge increase in hmos more professional hmos as well in the canton area so it's a lot of money and investment going into that onto the western city Okay, well, we'll probably cover Cardiff in a city watch uh, sometime soon. Uh, Sounds like a city to look at. Uh, So choose a goal, choose a region, choose a city or town, uh, read up on the place, then start to look at a neighbourhood, then start to look at a set of streets and then individual houses. You can get a real feel for the kinds of property. And then you can just watch and wait for the one that matches exactly what you're looking for. Um, That seems to be the process of narrowing it down. Uh, That's it for today. Uh, Thanks to Callum. Thanks, Paul. And thanks to Lisa. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Thanks also to our producer, Emma, who uh, edits these brilliantly. Uh, My name is Paul Shearer. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.